Welcome to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast, a show helping you find better ways to live, run, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. The website for the show is paleorunner.org. Follow me on facebook.com slash runpaleo or on Twitter at runpaleo. The sponsor for the show is 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates. It's made from coconut, grass-fed whey protein, and a slow-releasing starch. To get 10% off your order, go to 3Fuel.com and use the promo code 3FOLSON. My guest today is Mark Lofquist. Mark blogs over at paleorunners.blogspot.com. Mark, it's great to have you on the show. Hey, Aaron. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, Paleo Runners, that's a good name for a blog, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. great, great minds think alike, I guess. Yeah, when did you start that blog? Uh, I believe it was about 2011. Okay. I, I'd been um, running for about a year, and uh, I thought it'd be good to, A, document my story of you know, going through the effort of trying to become an endurance athlete, in, is in quotes, by the way, because it's a recreational activity. And a, a blog also functioned for me as a, as a good, like, um, holding place to uh, hold a lot of articles or, or just some of my thoughts that I could search and find later. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. So give me, let's go back to when you started running, because you haven't always been a runner from what I gather from reading your blog. Tell me how you first got interested in the sport. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those converts that came from the uh, Born to Run book coming out. <laughs> But even before that, I showed an interest in running. Um, I grew up as a, as a swimmer, and into my 30s, I worked out, you know, sort of the bodybuilding, muscle-bound kind of guy. And, uh, but it wasn't kind of a sport or a competitive aspect to it. And uh, I tried running a little bit in college. I did a couple 5Ks, and I, I noticed that I was horrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> running something like two or three miles, I needed days and days to recover. I would get... Um, just terrible shin splints. I couldn't even walk or point my toe the next day after running. And so I, it was a real weakness of mine. And I, I, I'm the type of guy who likes to attack weaknesses and figure mm-hmm. out uh, why am I so bad at this? I know people that can, you know, run for hours. I could bike for hours, but couldn't run. But you, you're, it's not like you weren't athletic. You were very athletic. You were uh, a great swimmer. Um, and you, from what I gather, you were quite competitive. So this seemed to be one uh, sport or activity that you couldn't quite do. So you kind of wanted to, I guess, improve on that. And how did you go about doing that? Yes, well, uh, I went to the the best running stores in the area. I was in a very affluent area in Northern Virginia. So I'd, I'd go into these places and they'd evaluate my gait. They would look at me with uh, video cameras on treadmills. And one thing I noticed later is they only look at you from behind. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the quote behind, you notice that um, my, my feet were landing on the edges of the foot and then rolled over to the surface of the foot. And they said, that's an issue. And buy these orthotics and buy these support shoes. I did have completely flat feet as well. Uh, I took everybody's advice, $300 at a shoe store. And now I could only run a mile and a half instead of two miles. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was not the right way to go. Um, I did have a friend who was an orthopedic surgeon and I went in and I had um, explained you know knee pain and shin splints and blah 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 what is wrong with me and he took x-rays and made measurements with um, protractors and what have you and he goes well here we go 
your uh, tibias, your shin bones, they're, they're bowed in this way. They look like right and left parentheses, if you will, a little bit. Eight degrees on one side and 12 degrees on the other. So there's your problem. You're not biomechanically suited to run. Mm. And I actually took his advice. This was back when I was about 32 years old. And I said, well, I guess I'll buy a nice bicycle and do that instead. But um, fast forward to 2009 or so, um, six, seven years later, Born to Run came out. And it was the first time I ever read the concept that humans are endurance athletes. We actually are suited to run upright, nuchal ligament, head posture, torso, hips, swing, bipedal mechanisms, what have you. And that really led me into actually research the idea of, wait a minute, we are meant to run. So I kind of erased everything I'd done in the past, took into account the go to a more minimal shoe, understand what ground feels like, run the way you're biomechanically supposed to run through the proprioception of either no shoes or very thin shoes. And making those adjustments, I realized three miles was no problem, five miles was no problem, seven miles was no problem, and I, I realized I was born to run. <laughs> that's awesome that's a great story i love i love that i mean all these doctors and specialists are telling you that y- you really can't run you know why would you want to run in the first place you, not like <laughs> humans uh, you know i think a lot of people still don't understand that that concept that you know uh running played a, an important part in our evolutionary heritage and uh it, it we we are uh endurance athletes and and uh it's I think that's one of the big attractions for me. It, it's, it seems like one of the most primal experiences that I've ever had just going out and running. Now, you said that you could, um, you started running in, in five, seven miles wasn't a problem. What about when you were just first starting out? Was it like that right away or did you, did you have to gradually work up to that spot? Well, there was an adjustment period, uh, a little self experimentation. You know, my first little baby steps, if you will, <laughs> was, uh, taking a hot knife and cutting the heel off of my uh, very expensive support shoes. Mm-hmm. And uh, that added a little length to my Achilles tendon, which is this wonderful spring that you can take advantage of ground reaction forces by extending and contracting it. So <laughs> cutting off the heels of my shoe and then going and doing a, a long run with a friend, uh, it was a sort of a trail half marathon. Uh, I realized quickly that that wasn't quite the way to do it. I needed to ramp up a little bit better. But at about six months of self-experimentation, I even completed a marathon, um, not very, you know, sort of a middle-of-the-pack kind of uh, completer. And then I realized training was a component that I hadn't considered. So the biomechanics and the foot landing and increased cadence, all that stuff, I was able to do by myself, but training if I wanted to compete. So I hired an online coach um, <laughs> because of a, you know, le- Thinking inside the box there, uh, the Born to Run book, uh, the author was trained by Coach Eric Orton. He's somebody you can find online. Um, I did the same thing, found him online and, and paid him a, a monthly fee to you know, teach me how to train now. So um, that was a December 2010, 39 years old. I trained with him for four or five months after about six months of self-trial and error. right? Mm-hmm. And I ran my first ultra marathon in March of 2010. Oh, cool, cool. So yeah, three, how did that how did the ultra marathon go for you? It was uh it was painful. I didn't have quite the trail experience that I should have. Everything's so new. I had such baby muscles, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially all those uh what do you call it? In the frontal plane when you're on a, a trail, you've got all those uh, additional forces. So so I limped through 
about 25% of it and ran real hard through the rest of it. Again, it was sort of a middle of the pack to top one third finish for my first ultra. I was just happy I completed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what was that experience like working with Eric Arton? Uh, he's actually was one of my first guests on the show. I think he's in maybe episode seven or eight, but um, yeah. Tell me about what that was like. Well, it was funny. I, um, I actually had met another uh, friend in, in Northern Virginia area where I lived who was using Eric as an online coach for probably about a year by the time um, I called him up, and uh, Eric sends me a um, training plan. He wanted to know a lot about my history, and I said, I'm like a baby. I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes, well, you'll probably have a lot of questions, but the first thing I want you to do is get a heart rate monitor, um, and I want you to run kind of slower. So I'd, I'd been kind of a seven-mile-an-hour <laughs> runner. That's eight-and-a-half-minute pace, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, he told me to go by these heart rate zones, which all of a sudden I'm back to being a 12, 13 minute miler (laughs) at uh, 140, 150 beats per minute. So it was a little frustrating. I was thinking, hey, I spent six months, you know, getting way down to eight minute mile pace, which incidentally is the fastest I've ever ran in my life at the time. And uh, (laughs) so here I am back at 12 minute mile pace, uh, forcing me to slow down and learning to have an economy increase. So getting more work done and running through the same intensity or heartbeats, if you will, um, it was a great lesson. And soon at the same heart rate, I'm back down to that eight and a half minute mile pace. I'm down to seven minute mile pace. I'm completing races, shorter races at six minute mile pace. And I'd never felt the wind, you know, going past my ears like that before. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, um, so you started working with Eric, uh, you saw some definite improvements in your training. Now, I I think I might've skipped over a little bit about, um, you, you really, uh, weren't able to run initially as much as you wanted to. Your doctor said that you, you were bow legged. So what was that process like of transitioning to a more, um, minimalist or barefoot type of running style? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing I did is I went and bought um, Vibram Five Fingers. That was uh, sort of summer of 2009, the beginning of my self-experimentation. You know, I'd cut the heels off one pair of shoes and tried mm-hmm. to run long distance in there. And then I bought, um, so I did kind of throw money at the problem, you know, as, the, as they always say. Bought a pair of Newtons, which have lugs on the forefoot and, quote, force you to land on your forefoot. Uh, then I bought uh, Vibram Five Fingers. And then I just kicked shoes off completely and uh for sidewalks and and you know known controlled surfaces if you will i would run no shoes on the local track had a nice bouncy surface and uh so i thought that was uh preferred at the time and i realized i could run more miles in my vibram five fingers than i could in any of those other shoe insole what have you combinations ever so those first few runs where i picked up you know, some distance and was able to run the next day. I couldn't believe it <laughs> was, was in the, the, the thinner, the better is what I learned. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like right away, it was a pretty quick transition for you. Did, uh, have you seen that as, as you've talked to other people and heard from other people? I mean, how, how many miles did you start out with in the Vibrams and barefoot? Because I've, well, I've gone barefoot yeah. running on asphalt and it's, it, I have to admit it was a little bit painful. How, how was that? What was that like for you? Well, I kind of grew up doing that. I, you know, it's funny, this sort of journey at, you know, in my late, th- in the middle age <laughs> sort of took me back to uh, childhood. I was the type of guy who lived at the pool the moment school went out for the summer. 
I prided myself on wearing the same bathing suit for three months and then <laughs> went back into jeans when school uh, reconvened in, uh, in September. So the first thing was put on the bathing suit and kick off the shoes. And I can remember, you know, jogging, running, biking, whatever, to the pool, playing around the pool all day. I'd swim practice in the morning, swim meets at night, and hang out at the pool in between. And those first couple of days when it was summertime, my feet would be pulsating in bed at night with heat, as if I had to re-toughen them up at the beginning of every pool season, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I remember scuffing my feet on the asphalt as much as I could to sort of speed up that um, transition time that I experienced every year, every summer break. So when I kicked off shoes completely and ran on sidewalks in my late 30s, it really reminded me of that. I would purposely kind of scuff my feet to sort of wake them up and toughen them up and it, it, it really works. And, and soon you can, you can take pebbles and you know, tree branches or whatever, and you don't really notice them never, very much. And it's not a toughening up. That's not the right word. It's just sort of getting used to it. Mm. So you, are you out in Colorado right now? Yeah, that's right. We moved here um, almost two years ago. And uh, so finally acclimated to the altitude difference, sure. <laughs> So what are you doing for wearing for shoes nowadays out on the trails in Colorado? Or, or are you wearing shoes at all? Yeah, I do. Um, I wear shoes more than, than not now. I'm sort of the, um, I'm back to controlled surfaces. And at the end of a speed workout, I'll, I'll do the last few intervals with no shoes. But for the most part, I do, I, I have um, sandals I like to wear, guarachas, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um other very thin soled shoes, either moccasins. I have uh, what do you call it? The Scora cores. Anything with a leather upper has been real helpful because I'll find I'll scrape the top of my foot on rocks as I step over them. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- there's trails I do where each step is, is 30 inches high to, to get over these boulders. And it's real easy to quote scuff the top of one's foot or stub a toe or whatever. So I do have some protection for those. Mm-hmm. But um, it's definitely not uh, knobby trail shoes, if you will. Yeah. And Mark, would you say that this process is something that anyone could go through? Or do, or do you think that, this, that running in a barefoot way is something that ne- really needs to be taught? Because it sounds like you kind of uh, just listened to your body and did this on your own. I did. And, and it's a really good question because I'm not sure everybody's capable of that. You know, as I said, I had a lot of quote experience in my childhood and and you did ask if um you know what what would a transition schedule or plan look like for other people and i do have a facebook group with a, a few thousand members where um those questions are posited all the time and i've seen mixed results um they say in life or in my weightlifting or crossfit coaching experience muscles grow pretty quickly in a few months you can see muscle gains but soft and connective tissue that adheres muscle to muscle or muscle to bone, that takes a couple of years to advance. And even longer than that, your bones actually get thicker and, and, and respond. All these things grow. We only think of muscles gaining strength, but everything else does on the body too, just in a slightly different schedule. So it depends sort of where you're coming from. Are your foot bones you know, as skinny as toothpicks and you're a 200-pound man? And uh, so... It, it, dep- it, it really does depend. And, and starting out slowly and walk running um, is, is a recommended transition period. Uh, you, you've got to know your body and know what's sore or what's been damaged really well. Um, I, I found myself using ice 
foot baths and all kinds of massage on the tops and bottoms of my feet were necessary after every run. And I was thinking, this adds 15 minutes to every workout I do. This is a pain. But then I noticed later and later, I, three months, six months later, I didn't need those that sort of maintenance, if you will. So I, it, it will be like that for everybody. You've got to start out slow, start by walking, wear minimal shoes to work every day. I recommend that to a lot of people. And it's funny, um, some of the feedback I've gotten where, you know, buy some of those Merrill trail gloves or, or they make some that look more like casual footwear. Mm-hmm. Wear those to work. And I've heard people say, you know, halfway through the day, I've got to put my loafers back on because my feet are sore. They're burning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, live the way you compete or, or, or train is, is what I try to recommend to people as well. Mm-hmm. And Mark, you're, you're also uh, interested in CrossFit and strength training. Tell me a little bit about how you got into that. Sure. When, um, when I dove into running, um, I found myself sort of hanging up the barbells, if you will. You know, I didn't renew my gold gym membership where I worked on one muscle at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, I, I found that I, I really sort of missed that. And I was afraid that I would lose some of the just overall body strength. I didn't care about, you know competing in a in a bikini kind of bodybuilding <laughs> competition but i did feel that you know i'm sort of missing the strength component probably and uh diving into running completely was a little foreign to me so uh, it was actually my who's now my wife uh a nice lady i was dating bought me a foundations class to her crossfit gym foundations is sort of where you learn the basic movements that's what a lot of crossfit boxes call it this was a um, after I'd been running for about a year, um, I ended up mixing the running and CrossFit together. And uh, I liked it so much, I got my coaching certification for CrossFit training and CrossFit endurance, which is their sort of system for um, use a lot of high-intensity training instead of these long, slow runs to uh, increase your endurance athleticism. Mm-hmm. And have you found so, that to be helpful as far as performance? I tried exclusively CrossFit endurance for about a year, and I saw some some pretty good gains. I, I, um, I ran an ultra marathon a month that year. That was 2012. And I did a lot of short. Everything was um, high intense in the training and monthly 5Ks to track my progress to see if my legs are moving faster, and then some sort of endurance um, event. And I definitely got better and better. But the argument still stood, even as a coach, and I'm supposed to represent the brand a little bit, right? <laughs> um, I noticed, well, I had these gains because I had this foundation. What if somebody just dove into only exclusively CrossFit endurance? Or what if I just continued my, quote, long, slow distance running training? What would the difference be? And I think the verdict is still out on that. There's, um, it, it's good periodicity, the changing in the way one trains is always good advice, uh, whether it's for performance or just you know, getting stronger. And uh, so I think using the, the CrossFit endurance training um, plans, if you will, the, do a bunch of burpees between every mile and then do heavy squats and then do a um, hard interval workout, mixing those things up with the uh, training plans is probably where it's at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Combinations. How many miles a week will you be running when you're doing that? Uh, my training went way back at, at that point to about 35 miles a week was a, a, a typical day. And then I'd mix it in with weeks where I did 60, 80, 100 miles. Okay. How about and now? It, yeah, I have such a range in my answer because now um, 
as as I ascend uh, fifteen thousand feet a week when I do my runs, uh, forty sixty miles it seems to be a good good training week, and I get my intensity in now by doing these uh, crazy climbs, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mark, I'd also like to talk about nutrition a little. Uh, from reading your blog, it sounds like you've kind of got on board, uh, on board with the paleo style of diet. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, how you found that out. Yeah, I've, I've always been open to, uh, quote, alternative diets or, or going to different extremes. Um, when, when I was uh, in college and in my early 30s even, I was pretty vegetarian. And uh, I you know, dated vegetarians in college, which makes you vegetarian, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tried vegan lifestyle for about a year and a half. And I thought I was doing the right thing. I'm sort of a vegan strength athlete kind of guy. But I did have a lot of pain. I thought this was normal, just getting older, you know, hitting my early 30s. I had cortisone shots in my lower back. I'm like, maybe too many squats, too much working on cars, my um, arthritis in my SI joint. Um, just thought it was a normal part of aging, and I would have to go to pain clinics forever. I also had um, historically pretty high blood pressure. I'd, I'd been through every blood test known to man, and uh, the, all the doctors basically said it seems genetic. Uh, the more I started running or endurance training, I saw my blood pressure go down, but sort of plateau out. And then, on a whim, after reading Paleo Solution, Rob Wolf's book, uh, all of Lauren Cordain's research, just kind of getting into it a little bit, um, cutting out bread made my blood pressure drop another 20 points. And now it's the blood pressure of a healthy athlete, if you will. Mm. So exercise helped. Diet helped more. Mm-hmm. So on that pursuit. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned that you cut out bread. Was that is that the major change that you've made, or are there other modifications you've done? So I did ramp up. Um, I'd gotten back into sort of lean meats and fat is bad for you after my vegetarian vegan lifestyle. And I actually started to feel a little better. I realized that the vegan lifestyle wasn't for me. Endurance training is helping me be a healthier person. So I did change a lot of things at once. So it's hard to isolate what had the most impact. But the more I did reading and the more, um, you know, competing in endurance type uh, ventures, I realized I need to become fat adapted. That's going to be a good way for me to have fuel while I'm running. In order to be more fat adapted, I'm going to have to consume more fats. I'm going to have to run in a fasted state. I'm going to have to. So all these things built onto each other. And I developed sort of a low carb paleo lifestyle for myself. Mm-hmm. So and- it is bacon and eggs in the morning and. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I'd, I'd love to hear. What are, you, what are you eating and what what have you had to eat today so far? Um, almost every day starts out the same with four soft-boiled eggs. I got this little microwave egg cooker thing. And after a few dozen eggs of experimentation, I found what the perfect soft-boil <laughs> time in the microwave is. And uh, so four soft-boiled eggs in my bag, butter in my coffee. I do drink a lot of coffee, by the way. And a uh, couple couple times a week, a couple strips of bacon. Um, that, if I think I need to eat lunch, which I have to remind myself to eat because four soft-boiled eggs, I'm usually good until about 5 p.m. or so. I don't, I've lost the sense of hunger, if you will. Like I used to be ravenous if I went three hours without eating in the past, so I really know notice when it's gone. Um, lunchtime varies. It's usually leftover dinners. So it's dinners are... Um, crock pot type or um, 
ground up bison cooked in coconut oil, things like that with a couple vegetables on the side. I stay away from the real simple uh, monosaccharides or disaccharide fermentable carbohydrates, the um, rices and potatoes and things like that. I'll eat them every once in a while. Uh, sweet potatoes are preferred because of the longer chain carbohydrates. But uh, so lots of oils, non-veggie oils, high <laughs> omega-3, 6 ratio type oils on my meats, uh, vegetables with uh, grass-fed butter on them. And that's really it. It's very simple ingredients and uh, usually just two meals a day and leftovers for, for lunch of those meals. And have you been able to convince your wife to try out this style of diet too? Yeah, she's, she's in and out of it. And uh, we, we just had a, our second child in um, September of this year. Oh, oh congrats. Thank you. And uh, so we have a two-year-old at home now and now the newborn. So as she's going through either pregnancy or, or uh, breastfeeding, she, sometimes you just have to eat whatever's around, you know, <laughs> whatever she's craving. She had a pretty hard pregnancy. She's on board 75% of the time. We definitely share the same dinners and, and what have you. So I do think it's important to have some, uh, some buy-in at home. And uh, it just we don't stock snacks in the, in the cupboards. There's no boxes of donuts waiting by the bread box. We don't even have a bread <laughs> box, actually. So, yeah, some buy-in at home is helpful for sure. So making that transition from vegan, which I'm, I'm assuming was probably pretty high in carbohydrates, to a more paleo style that's very low, how long did that take you? Well, it, it was, um, I think it was a slow process because I didn't quite know what I was doing or know what to buy into. I did have this in-between time where uh, lean meats and chickens and fishes are okay and uh, in-between there. But, you know, half of the vitamins that a human, essential vitamins for human life are water-soluble and the other half are fat-soluble. So saying eating a low-fat diet for vitamin and mineral absorption is the same thing as saying eat a low-water diet. So yeah. I, d I hadn't put that together. So I was still a, quote, low-fat person for a while, even though maybe higher protein in, in the in-between phase. So uh, apart from that, it took, it was pretty much cold turkey. <laughs> mm. Not literally, because turkey is too low in fat. <laughs> but um, so I, um, after I was convinced with the research, with the Perfect Health Diet um, by Paul Jaminet, the Chris Cresser's uh, podcast and book, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm just changing it up. And, and very little chicken. Uh, the fish I try to eat is salmon, which is fatty, and uh, so I did it pretty abruptly. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned there uh, that you read The Perfect Health Diet, and Paul's been on the show a couple of times. He actually recommends things like potatoes and white rice. Um, what causes you to avoid those things? I get hungry and I get tired when I consume those things. Mm. When I take them out, I find I have more energy. And I think this is purely, this is my hypothesis, and I'm taking a class on it right now at the local university, that this is a total gut biome issue. So um, Paul, in his book and on your podcast, he noticed, he's mentioned that he has a hard time producing mucous membranes and things like that when he cuts out too many carbs. Mm -hmm. And I don't have that issue. I've tried. I've been cognizant, and I've been looking for the, quote, symptoms. So for my genetic makeup, my epigenetic expression, and my current state of gut biome, this works really well for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I always give people that advice. I said, if you have the same 
parents as me and the same background, you should do what I do and expect the same results. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if not, it might be different. <laughs> right. Well, Mark, we're coming up to the end of the show here. And the last question that I've been asking people lately, uh, it's a segment called the Magic Mile. And my question for you is, if you had three months to train um, and you didn't have to worry about your bills or going to work, all you, all you had to do was train. How fast do you think you could run one mile? Three months, huh? Mm-hmm. So I'm limited with the connective tissue and bone mineral density that I have right now, <laughs> as we talked about. Um, that's a great question. Uh, it would all be strength training for me. The fastest mile I've ever ran unofficially, you know, timed as a split in a workout is just under six minutes. And uh, I think I could get that to very low five. I don't have leg speed but I would basically be jumping out of strength. <laughs> mm-hmm. So 505. All right, great. Well, Mark, it was, <laughs> it's been great talking with you today and, and it's been fun hearing your, your story and I'm sure the listeners will gain a lot of info from all you've shared with us. So thanks so much for being part of the show. Thank you, Aaron, for having me. It's always nice to talk to a fellow paleo runner. Thanks for listening to another paleo runner podcast. If you like podcasts, you're also going to like audible.com. Audible has over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Kindle, Android, or MP3 player. You can even burn a CD of the audiobook if you like. It's a great way to learn while you're driving in the car or cleaning up around the house. One of the great things about Audible is that if you decide that you don't like the book you've downloaded, you can actually exchange it for another one. They want you to be happy with your order. If you'd like to get a free audiobook download, sign up at audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. You'll get a free audiobook download that you can keep regardless of whether you continue with the service or not. So go to audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. Thanks for listening.